there, and welcome to Within the Gray. I'm Jackie. And I'm Libby, and together we attempt to work through the messiness of modern adult life. On today's episode, we are going to talk about what is perceived to be a small aspect of women's health, endometriosis. We are at the tail end of Endometriosis Awareness Month, so we figured it would be a good time to cover this topic. So what is endometriosis? You may be asking, and I'm so glad you did. So endometriosis is when the lining of a uterus isn't completely shed during a woman's cycle, and as a result, can grow outside of the uterus and can tar- like it tends to start to act like a cancer where it can spread to the adjacent organs. Yes. So, Jax. Yes. When did you first hear about endometriosis? So, my mom had endometriosis, but I didn't know much about it. I know it affected her getting pregnant with me. Um, that's how they like discovered it. Um, and then I started learning more about it when I personally started experiencing symptoms. However, those symptoms would have probably gone undetected if my mom hadn't had endo herself and like kind of brought it up to the doctors, if that makes sense. What about you? When did you first hear about endometriosis? So my mom also struggled with it. Uh, She wasn't diagnosed until she was trying to get pregnant and she couldn't. And so it was a couple, I think it was like a year or two into trying to get pregnant that it was discovered and um, she finally got diagnosed. So she had one surgery and then uh, she did not get pregnant right away and then ended up having to have another additional surgery Mm. Um, and finally, after her second surgery, was able to conceive me. Uh, here you are. <laughs> and here I am. Uh, so I assumed that I was going to struggle with it as well because she had. And it is it can be hereditary. Yeah. It tip, it's yeah, it's definitely hereditary. So I just assumed that I was going to struggle with it. And I was starting to show some like signs in my late teens and early 20s. You know, I was having really heavy periods. I was having like pretty severe cramping and it was getting worse as I was getting older. Um, However, I was never diagnosed. I don't know if I actually developed it or not, because at the time where I was starting to it was before I got pregnant Mm -hmm. when I was, you know, concerned about being able to get pregnant. Um, the only way that my doctor was like that we can like tell if you have it is if we do an exploratory surgery. Yep. And I was like, I'm not going to elect into a surgery for something that I'm not quite sure I have. So that was what like how I was first introduced to endometriosis and kind of like my small like brush in with it, we'll call it. Mm-hmm. But you have a vastly different experience than I do. So I do. And you walk us through your experience with endometriosis. Yes, I can. So buckle in, guys. This is a ride. Um, so I started my period later than most women, I would say. I was like midway through high school. Um, and I started to have incredible pain during my cycles um, 
to where I was like, I was knocked out for that week. Um, walking was a difficulty. So my doctor at the time, um, prescribed prescription naproxen, which I took for years. I was like, and that was a fix for the time. I'm like, cool. Because again, um, kind of Libby, like you mentioned, you had said that your doctor told you like the only way we can diagnose this is through an elective surgery, which that, that was the case for me too. And that's still the case right now. Like that's how you diagnose endometriosis for the most part. You can't like actually say or definitely say that you have it unless you undergo surgery. Um, Could you really quick, what is naproxen? It is a pain medication. Yeah. It's like, I I mean, it's obviously stronger than, um, well, I don't even want to say stronger because you can get naproxen over the counter. It's probably got a specific, it might be a leave. I'm not positive on that, but I know like I I just didn't. I, I didn't know if you knew. Um, yeah, no, that's fine. But um, my, I didn't. So like, I know you can get it over the counter. That's not what I took. I actually got a prescription like of it that I guess was a higher dose that I was able to take. So anyways, I took that for years. Um, it worked as far as like managing the pain. However, it like ended up ruining my stomach. <laughs> so I wasn't like a few years in, I wasn't able to handle the naproxen anymore. Um, I couldn't take it without feeling miserable with my stomach, but I was in this really hard position because I'm like, okay, but if I don't take it, then I'm dying because of the pain from my period. So the only other option that I was given other than stronger pain meds was birth control. So it was either you can go on a higher dose of a different pain medication, or you can go on birth control. So my mom really thought it was endometriosis because she had had it, like I said before. And she was like, we're going to find you a doctor that's able to like diagnose this and hopefully we can get this fixed. So I did find a doctor who would do surgery because at this point it wasn't something that was just like, oh, my period kind of hurts here and there. It was like this. I I can't go on living like this. It was debilitating. It was. And it's not like this happens once a year. It's like this happens for a week every month. Yeah. So like this, this is not sustainable. It's a significant amount of time of your life. Yes. So, um, I did opt to do the surgery. Um, I did have endometriosis and that was removed, which was awesome. And I was good for a few years. Um, however, after a few years, I started experiencing pain again. Um, this time it was, I would say worse than it was before. Mm -hmm. Um, I went back to the surgeon who had done my original surgery and he basically told me, you know what, like endo doesn't typically come back. Like there's a very small percentage of women that it comes back with. Um, And he gave me the options of prescription narcotics or birth control. And I was like, I really don't want to be put on birth control because I had done a lot of research into how that does not, that does not fix endometriosis. It just kind of covers it up for a while. For some women, it actually makes it worse. So I'm like, I don't want to go down that route. 
because I knew something like something was wrong. I'm like, this is this pain should not be happening to me. So I went with a prescription narcotics and I'm just like, this also is not sustainable because I'm literally like doped out for a week every month. And at this point I was teaching and I'm like, I can't like I shouldn't be driving on these. I I can't teach on these. Like I just so I was so interesting that this man who listened to you the first time and was like, okay, let's do this surgery. Mm-hmm. I'd explain to him the doctor who did this surgery the first time, your symptoms, which are mirroring your symptoms of last yes. time, if not more severe, told you, no, probably not. Right. Exactly. And which like what? Yeah. So I was really frustrated with that. Um, but at at that point, I'm like, I don't see what other option I have. Um, and I was like, I guess I'll just take these meds for now until I can find some other solution. Well, then I would say it was probably a couple months later. Um, I ended up passing out on the bathroom floor because of how much pain I was in. Um, and I went to the emergency room because my mom was just like, something is not right here. Like this, you don't like, this is not normal. This is not normal. So went to the emergency room, waited forever there. And when I was finally taken back and like kind of given an exam, the doctor who again was a man looked me in the eyes and he said, yeah, you know, periods hurt sometimes, which like also, excuse me, sir, if you don't have a uterus or ovaries, you, you do not get to make statements like that. I'm just like, how do you know, dude? Yeah. Like, are you kidding? And just the way that like, and I'm just like, it it was terrible. I literally, after he walked out of the room, I broke down crying. Oh yeah. Cause I'm I'm sure you just felt like an idiot. I did. I felt so stupid. I felt so stupid. I felt so unheard. I felt so unbelieved. And it was just, and they told me the only option they gave me, they're like, you can, we can prescribe you birth control. And I was like, that's not what I want. Like, that's not going to fix the problem. So at this point, this is when I looked into natural family planning or NFP, specifically the Creighton model. Um, so for those of you who have never heard of NFP before, or maybe you've kind of heard of it in passing, it's a fertility awareness-based method, um, which basically is a way of tracking your fertility and family planning without the use of birth control. Um, a lot of times it is joked that it is the Catholic birth control. It's not. There's a lot more to it, but that that's really a stigma that it well, that's the stereotype. Yes, exactly. Um what a lot of people don't know is that it can be used for diagnosing and treating women's health issues, specifically things like endometriosis. Um, so I met with a consultant of uh, the Creighton model of natural family planning. Um, this was the first time that I had ever felt heard or listened to or even told like what was happening to me like was not normal or that we can find a solution to this like that was the first time that I felt like wait they they're not looking at me like I'm crazy 
they're actually listening. You felt believed. Yes. Yes. So our consultant um, referred us to a doctor who actually used the Creighton charts to diagnose for endometriosis. So I charted for a while. I brought him my charts and he was able to look at them and tell that, yes, I did in fact need surgery. So I went ahead and I got surgery again. Um, the endometriosis had in fact come back. Imagine that. And the main issue was that one of my ovaries had stuck to the side of my uterus with scar tissue. And during the, my doctor, the surgeon told me this afterwards during the surgery, one of the residents who was observing had made the comment, could that really cause that much pain? And he was like, yes, ovaries are not supposed to be stuck to your uterus. <laughs> I mean, when you told me that I was like, this resident had the audacity to say what in the operating room like, and I love that your doctor just like so wonderfully put him in place. Yes. And teaching, just teaching future little doctors. No, no. Yes, that does cause pain because if an ovary was meant to be attached to a uterus, it would, it would be. have been designed like that. And it was it not. Wasn't. It was not. So. Yeah, that was my overall experience. Um, if I had not gotten the surgery, I would have never found out that problem. Um, since the surgery, I really don't experience that much pain. I mean, more so than like any woman would, I would say, or like a normal cycle. It's definitely I, in the normal range. Yeah, like I can take a couple Tylenol or a couple ibuprofen and I'm fine. And that clearly as you all just heard, was not the case before. Um, no. I remember like after having this being like, is this what, wait, this is what it's supposed to feel like? Like, cause I've been told for years that like, oh no, like what I was feeling. Yeah, that that's what it is. And I just kind of like went along with it. So yeah, yeah, that was, that was my crazy journey with endometriosis. That's just wild to me. Yeah. Cause I just feel wild. like sometimes when in regards to women's health that sometimes it's just brushed off like yes voice concerns you know we stick our necks out we say hey i don't think this is normal mm -hmm. and that sometimes we're told nope that's normal yeah that's normal that's normal and you're like but it doesn't feel normal to me mm -hmm. this doesn't feel like this should be normal so why am I being told? And like, if it was normal, would not my friends be talking about this? Right. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't we all be talking about it to one another? And if it was normal, why aren't we, why aren't we fixing that? So I think a lot of times it's also because pain is so subjective. Yeah, you know? that's true. Pain, pain is subjective. Like the way I feel pain or what bothers me is going to be different from what bothers you. Right. So I think medical professionals have a hard time deciphering pain, you know, what is in the normal range and what falls outside because it is so subjective that like, you know, a seven for me might be a three for you on that right. like little like happy to sad face chart that they show you, Uh huh. you know? Yes, I know. But that I think, well. <laughs> <laughs> but I think regardless, like pain should be taken very seriously and looked through thoroughly. Right. Like if someone's telling you they're in pain, like 
you should be taking them seriously and trying to get to the root cause of that pain. Right. Because no one should feel pain. That should not be a normality in your life. Because normally, like, think about any other pain that people experience. Like, if they have, like, neck pain or back pain or they have, you know, then that's looked through and, like, okay, you have, you know, a slip disc or, you know, you're going to need physical therapy. But, like, Mm -hmm. when a woman is, like, this, you know, my period pain is, you know, severe, they're, like, the fact that a man told you it could hurt sometimes, like, thank you. If like, that's not the definition of mansplaining, oh my I, like, gosh. I literally don't know what is. Like, it, no, like sir, you cannot. It's fun. Like, I can laugh at it now, right? Like, it's a funny joke and it makes people laugh. In that moment, like, I was enraged. Like, I wanted to jump off of that hospital bed and be like, are you joking? Like, it's just, oh my gosh. No, you may not mansplain what menstrual cycle pain feels like. No, sir. No. Mm-hmm. Stay in your lane. So <laughs> I, though, appreciate how endometriosis has been getting more attention as of late. I feel like in the last like five years, yes, more people are becoming aware of endometriosis or like you're hearing like famous women or just more women talk out about it. I feel like I saw a commercial for it. There has been. Mm-hmm. So like it's like, yes, let's talk about this because right. I remember first bringing this up with you many years ago. And when you also brought it up, because I was like, oh, my mom had it. And you're like, my mom had it. I was like, really? Because mm-hmm. I had never heard of it before. Because women don't outside. talk about it. No. Well, and also I feel like it goes undiagnosed. Yes, it does. Duh. So I, though, and I'm like, but back to my original point, I think that yes. now that more women are talking about it, there's more attention put on it, which like I'm here for which is kind of the point of this episode as well. Right. Is to put more attention on it because there just needs to be way more funding for research on this since it affects a lot of women. And I actually Mm -hmm. did some homework. Oh, you did. I did do some homework. So, (laughs) you know that, and I I can like, I can like include our sources. So endometriosis, they believe affects an estimated 200 million women around the world, roughly 5.5 million in the U.S., according to a 2016 report. But that's a rough number because a lot of women go undiagnosed for Mm -hmm. years because they think, uh, this is normal. Yeah. Or they don't have access to appropriate health care. Right. Or they just get brushed off. So that number is probably way higher. Uh, Yes. I would say that's a very fair. That's a very fair assumption. So 5.5 million Okay, let's just well, let's just take the conservative number because we can have 5.5 million women yes. in the United States. And that's a study that was done four or five years ago. So we're going to round it up. We're going to round it up. We're going to say six. We're going to do it. <laughs> so, so then I was also looking up things about how much funding endometriosis receives. So in 2020, Congress approved endometriosis research funding to be doubled in 2021. And you're like, dang, that's awesome. Okay. You would think so. It was only doubled to 26 million. That means before it was 13 million. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in comparison. Yeah. Put that in perspective. Oh, I'm going to because I was like, <laughs> I need people to know how much money this is not. <laughs> so this seems like an accomplishment, but Alzheimer's and dementia funding 
from the federal government was $448 million mm. in 2020 and before that annually. However, in 2020, they, the federal government, agreed to raise their funding for Alzheimer's and dementia to $3.1 billion annually. It's a tad more. Now, you might be thinking, okay, there must be more people who are suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia. And you would be right. There are. But that number is only 6.2 million in comparison to our original 5.5 million. So it's not like hundreds of millions of more people. Right. So and are, you like know what we I'm said, saying? That 5.5 is rough. Like, That's like rough. Said, there is a lot of women who are not diagnosed. Yes. So, so there's that's just no, huge. Yes. And so like $26 million, I mean, I will say that's a, that's a nice chunk of change. It is. But like compared to $3.1 billion. Um, I know. And this isn't even to say like, oh my gosh, endometriosis is so much worse than these other. No, this other is just to put it in perspective. Issues. Yes, exactly. And it, the thing is, it does affect women like on a regular basis. Like. Oh. And it's for, not just like for a long, like for a long time, yes. like it can like affect a woman. Like, okay. So let's just say you start your period at like age 13. Yes. Okay. So from 13 to what, what we'll say like 43, that's 30 years of your life. Right. Every month. Well, right. And every single month. And it's not just that, oh, I kind of don't feel good. It, like, you like women like me, like they are knocked out. They cannot do things. You cancel plans. You don't go on trips. You sometimes can't go into work. Yeah. Like, can you see yourself being able to hold a job if you for a week out of the month can't go to work? Mm -mm. Like no one's going to no. hire you. No. So I just wanted to throw numbers out there because like, you know, you always hear like, oh, women's health doesn't get a lot of funding. And I was like, if I'm going to make that statement, I'm going to back it up with numbers. Mm -hmm. So those were really good numbers. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so it's just like women's health and women's reproductive health. They don't get a lot of attention or importance put in it. And it's incredibly frustrating. Um, and, you know, part of me thinks it's because that a lot of our lawmakers, you know, a vast majority of Congress is composed of men. It's getting better. It's becoming more even because another fun fact I wanted to include, I do think we need more women in Congress to bring up these women's health mm -hmm. issues. Yes. Like a very, very young Congresswoman. She's former. She didn't win her term this year, which oh, I wish she would have because she sounds bomb. So yeah. she is a Congresswoman from Iowa. I think the first district. Her name is Abby Finkenauer. She's really young. Um, she created in within her her term for so for two years in the House of Representatives, she created the first ever House Endometriosis Caucus to advocate for increased endo research. And she did that in 2020, which That's is amazing. why we need women yes. in Congress. Because yep, like to do stuff like that. Because it was part of like her campaign to be able to like get funding. Yep. Which is amazing. Which is amazing. Yeah. No, that, that's incredible. That is sad that she did not. I know. Win I her know. seat back. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but she still deserves a shout out but, because like, that is but the fact that like she was okay. So because a representative's term is only two years that in mm -hmm. two years, she, she still was able to accomplish that first ever caucus. It's yeah. like, yeah, that's awesome. 
That is amazing. Awesome. So I think with just getting more women in Congress, mm-hmm. we start advocate like they those women start advocating and being like, no, these are important things that we're going to start seeing kind of a turn. I do think it's going to be a while. Oh, I so wish it wouldn't, but we're getting there. I mean, like they did double the budget, still not a lot, but they did double it. You know, there's a caucus in place for endometriosis. It's definitely steps in the right direction. Yes. And getting more attention. They're baby steps, but But they are steps in the right direction. (laughs) So one thing that I did want to bring up, um, because I think so many women experience this, is that through my entire experience with endometriosis, I kept coming back to this feeling of, I must be imagining this. Like, I felt guilty going to the emergency room after I had passed out from pain because I was like, well, maybe this is actually in my head because that's the narrative that I kept being fed, right? From all of these medical professionals that this is probably in your head. So advocating for myself was exhausting. And the feeling of shame and embarrassment because of what I was going through was literally paralyzing. Like if someone were to spend their weekend in the ER because of something with their heart or something like even like, okay, let's say you get your appendix out, something like that. That would be something that you would bring up at work that next week. Oh yeah. You would check in with your coworker like, Hey, are you okay? How's it going? Well, even like you as a person would say, yes. like, if you had been the one who experienced it, you would bring that up and be like, You're this right. is what happened to me. I always felt like I had to hide it. And I always did, like, would not mention it. I would say to my closest friends, like, you always knew about it. My yeah. family would know about it. But I wouldn't really go outside of that circle because what what am I going to say? I was in the ER because of my period. And then you just kind of get the like, what? Like that kind of that response that I got from the doctor. Like, okay, periods hurt sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So both times, like for both of my surgeries, I made up scenarios to like tell coworkers about like why I was getting surgery. I didn't like actually tell the truth of what was happening because, again, I didn't feel like I could. Um, not many people outside of your close friends and family even ask how you're doing after surgery. I mean, cause there were like some people that I would tell like, yeah, this is happening. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't get asked how it went. You don't get asked how recovery went or how you're doing because like it's people tough. feel weird asking you about it. And I'm like, it's an extensive surgery. Like I, you're out for a while because of it. So it just that that was something that was it was really hard to get through all of it because you're not feeling like you're heard. You're being made to feel like you're crazy and you don't really feel like you can talk about what you're going through with other people because you're embarrassed about it. And I know so many other women feel this way. Like I know they do because 
the more I've like become open about it and talked about it, the more like I'm hearing almost mirror stories, right? Like that is just like echoing back to me exactly what I had experienced. So a big frustration that has been consistent along this whole journey was with birth control because it's considered this fix-all band-aid. And I contribute a lot of what I went to through how much birth control was pushed. So many women are just looked over or put on birth control, ignoring what's really going on in their bodies. And push of birth control is what took me so long to get answers because it was like, we'll just take this. We'll just take this. It'll fix it or at least cover it up for now. And the thing is, OBGYNs aren't taught to get to the root cause of things. They're taught to prescribe the pill for literally everything because technically it does, for the most part, mask symptoms. The problem is it doesn't fix what's actually going on. So a lot of women, when they go off of birth control, they either find that their endometriosis or PCOS, whatever, has either gotten worse or just flares right back up. And so it's like nothing was fixed. You just kind of pretended for a while that it didn't exist. So something, again, that really bothers me is that any time I even bring up or I question birth control, I'm considered like anti-woman. It's like, you must not be pro-woman. And I just, that just really gets to me because I'm like, wait, so just because I think women deserve an alternate to birth control or that they deserve to get to the root cause of their problem, that makes me anti-woman. You know what I'm saying? Mm Because it's not like I'm saying, take all of this off the shelf. You know, that's, I'm just like, this is literally preventing things from happening. Yeah. You, you're just saying you should know all your options. You should know what's actually going on. Yeah. You should be aware what's going on in your own body. Yes. And I do think a lot of the reason there isn't a ton of research into things like endometriosis is because birth control is doing a quote, good enough job. Why would you put all of this money into finding a solution for something when you already kind of have a solution that just covers it up for now? And it seems like women are okay with that for the most part, you know? So other than that, I too, like you mentioned, I really appreciate and get like super excited when I see like a celebrity or someone that like has a big following come out about having endometriosis. Mm -hmm. I think that is huge. Um, And I honestly, whenever someone does, I text like all my friends that I know that have endometriosis and I'm like, did you know she had it too? And it just, one, it makes you feel like, oh my gosh, like, other people have this. It's not just me. And also like now other people know now other people know I'm not crazy. Like, look, like someone that like is famous has this or like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It just brings more attention to it. So, and it honestly, now I feel the more that I have been open and talked about it. I, it's like every other person I talk to either has endometriosis or had endometriosis themselves, or they know someone personally who does. It's crazy how many women have experienced this. But kind of like what you said earlier, that's 
why we're having this conversation, right? Mm -hmm. The more awareness that's brought to it, the more there will be a push for a solution. So Libby, Mm -hmm. what would you say your takeaway to this conversation would be? I'm actually going to throw it back to you because I think that you have way more experience in this conversation or in this topic. So I want to hear what you have to say first about it. Because okay. I think yours is just going to be more insightful um, and more probably like a little bit personal. Okay. So um, I kind of want to hear yours first. So my takeaway, I would say, would be definitely advocate for yourself. Even though it might be exhausting sometimes, keep advocating for yourself and trust in your intuition. And if you have endometriosis or PCOS or something of the like, Don't be ashamed or embarrassed. The more I've talked about my experience openly, the more I realize that so many other women have been in the exact same boat as me. And that's just made me feel more heard and also just more empowered to speak out more so that so that more women can be seen, you know. So I would say that's my takeaway. What about you? I will echo your sentiment. I think that women shouldn't be afraid to advocate for themselves. I don't think that they should feel ashamed to, you know, openly speak to their doctor about the issues that they are having with their body. You know, Mm -hmm. you know your body the best. You're the one living in it. So you know what is in the range of normal. You know what normal feels like and you know what normal does not feel like. Mm -hmm. So if something is outside of normal, you know, you should talk to your doctor. And if you know, you feel like your doctor is not listening to you or maybe brushing you aside. Maybe that means you find a new doctor mm-hmm. who does listen to you because that's what you did. You found yes. somebody who would listen to you. And when they did listen to you and they heard you, that's when your problem was fixed, you know? Right. So I think that women just need to not be afraid to say, like, I'm in pain and this pain is not okay. You know, mm-hmm. I think women a lot of times do the whole stiff upper lip thing, you know, kind of because they're forced to though. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're kind of forced to like we, from a young age, you're kind of taught like you're going to experience pain Mm -hmm. and that's what life is. And so we kind of just start to accept that. Well, that, and you're also taught to question your pain. Yeah. To be like, am I really second guess it? So, but I think women, we need to start being, you know, more conversational or have better lines of communication with our doctors um, and medical professionals about what's going on in our body and not feel ashamed by it mm-hmm. and just say, you know, I want to find the solution. I want to, f- I want to fix me, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my takeaway. I like yours Love advocate it. for yourself. Yeah. I definitely said it's a big one. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you all for joining us today until next week. Remember to be kind to yourself, have grace with others, and embrace the gray. Bye.